This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and undoing the programming within us. Let's find your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. That, my friends, was my brother, my new brother, Trevor Oswald Trishna, otherwise known as East Forest. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you again. I'm going to, everyone would just indulge me. I'm going to just read a little bit of, a little bio on our friend here, and then we're going to get right into it. So East Forest is a unique bird in the Wild West aviary of electronic chamber music, bridging the digital and natural realms. The fundamental mission of his project is to create sonic architecture for listeners to explore their inner space. Been a huge asset to me over this past year. As a leader in the field of wellness, which is important to know, he offers a spiritual yet non-religious pathway aimed squarely at the challenges of our contemporary lives. It is a process of opening doorways through myriad offerings, including his music, talks, writings, podcasts, and retreats, which unfortunately his one in October was had to be postponed, and I was really looking forward to that, so we'll look to uh, 2021 for that one. East Forest invites patience which has been a new practice for me. Patience, while typically thought of as kryptonite in the instant gratification, hyperspeed world of music and modern life, 
it might just be the medicine we need. And, and East Forest comes through in such a beautiful medicine man way that uh, we're going to get into in this podcast. Nature indelibly made a huge impression on East Forest, who grew up in the Pacific North, Northwest. Making his way to New York City, which I'm so interested to hear what that experience is like for you, uh, he discovered indigenous traditions and their relationship to both sound and ceremony. Eventually, he started leading underground shamanic ceremonies across the country as he began curating his own source recordings from guiding sound meditations and therapeutic psychoactive psilocybin mushroom ceremonies. And I'm super excited to talk about his album, Music for Mushrooms, which is now winnowed down from a five-hour recording to uh, vinyl-ready, just under 60 minutes. So that's been amazing to have, uh, you know, play that on my vinyl. Playing in the shadows allowed the patient sound of East Forest to emerge an emotional and spacious lexicon born out of a practical need to play solo for six hours in a goal of developing a protocol and musical landscape to guide a room of listeners in deep inner meditation. I've had the good fortune, the great fortune, to be a part of a handful of uh, his live streams which are all on YouTube, uh, but I look forward to inviting uh, East Forest to Austin to do it in person, uh, hopefully in early 2021. As a teacher and facilitator, East Forest has trailblazed a path in the wellness movement, building connections between the digital and natural worlds. As a leader in the burgeoning field of organic tech, he regularly cross-pollinates his work to bring together the intersection between technology nature, and the human experience with a brain-body approach aimed towards non-religious, again, non-religious, yet deeply spiritual personal development, a methodology grounded as much in science as in ritual and ceremony. I'd love to talk more about where the science comes in. I, I especially love how NPR describes East Forest. East Forest is tied to both nature and to everyday urban life, giving it the qualities of a sort of ethereal and mystical modern day fairy tale. It's just blissful. So it might, that that quote may have sounded odd. And so we're going to get into exactly who, what East Forest is, because I know a lot of people, myself included, refer to him as East Forest, but that's not exactly accurate. So anyway, that's my my lengthy intro. (laughs) Without further ado, welcome, brother. I'm so pumped for this. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks uh, for the graciousness. Happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, how have you been spending your time lately? I know obviously the touring um, is on hold. And um, as I said earlier, retreats aren't happening. And so what are you doing with the exception of the live streams? Like what's, what, what's East Forest doing right now? Well, I went through a lot of changes uh, when the the covidian times hit us and uh to be honest they've been largely really positive uh i don't think i would have stopped the treadmill of touring and traveling if the entire world didn't stop like it would take (laughs) something that drastic for me to say okay all right i'll 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 take a break 
what did your schedule look like prior to that? Like the touring and the, oh, like, man. what was the rat race for you? The last five, what well, in 2014 was sort of my first foray. So the whole project started in 2008 and the first chunk of years was really just doing these underground medicine ceremonies. So it, there was no real public element to it. And there was not even really a commodification going on. I had my first record out, the education for the, of the individual soul. And it was, it was free. This was back when we were downloading music off like iTunes and stuff. And I, I put it out for free because I was really adamant that it was a gift. And the next records were just from these ceremonies. They were just live uh, fee- feeds, essentially, that were whittled down into little albums that, that I mastered or had mastered. And I wasn't sure people would be into that because it was very different. The first record was a studio record. And these next records were sort of this ambient, um, it was Crystal Starship and uh, was one of those records. And anyway, uh, in 2014, I, I applied for South by Southwest and they accepted me to give me a showcase for some strange reason. <laughs> I was like, I had no real, um, I was, it was an odd fit. You know, because it's a lot of like band bands and rock bands. It's about, they probably accept about, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand bands for showcases. And then there's another like 10,000 that are just doing their own thing unofficially. Yeah. And I was really excited. And so from there, I kind of used that as a way to like get on the road. I drove to Austin. It's a long trip and tried to (laughs) hit like little gigs on the way, anything I could find and on the way back. And then I got picked up by Wanderlust to do some a whole series of events in the summer. So that took me all around the country for the whole summer. And that started to build an audience. And, uh, but then things started to really pick up, I'd say around 2016 or so, 2017. And uh, then the last few years, I felt like I was just always going somewhere. Like I'd be home wherever, either here or Southern Utah for like a week or two. And then I'd be back out and then back and then back out and a lot of one-off gigs. And then I'd usually build like a week or two around that with more gigs. So I, I, I went to China last year, like right before COVID hit, I was in China, which is weird. <laughs> yes. I assume you weren't playing in Wuhan. No, I was in uh, outside Shanghai in Shenzhen at this festival, which was really cool. Um, but it was, so that was in, I think November. And so when the when coronavirus started there, like a month later, essentially, I was all over it, like personally, like watching it and following it because I was just, I was like, oh, I was just there. Like, I don't know. I felt connected to it. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to friends and my partner, Rada, it's like, look, this is, I, I don't know why. I just felt like there's no way that's going to be contained. This is, this is going to be a huge deal. It's coming. And everyone's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's this virus over there. And then I remember it was in, uh, January, February, it's February. Now is like seeming really clear, but still a lot of people weren't picking up on it. And this friend of ours came over to drop off some merch for the Tree Fort Music Festival, which is in third week of March. And this is like the beginning of March. Yeah. And he drops it off. And I said, yeah, well, if it even happens. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the coronavirus. I have a feeling it's going to like shut things down. And he's like, oh, I didn't even, I don't know. I didn't even think about that. And then like, you know, all of us within a week or two, it's been this, it just was like collective, just like a tsunami of change. So it, 
I I also lost, or I shouldn't say lost. I left, mutually left my management company the same weekend that the lockdown hit, which at the time felt strange and coincidental. But looking back, I'm like, oh, this was all this grand design of massive shedding of skin. Mm. So at first it was, it was really scary because not only was my revenue stream cut in at least half, but my my team, which is a very small team, um, was was gone. And I was suddenly like adrift and like, I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do. But I knew deep down there was a truth saying, This is this is right. You just need to slow down and give it some space for something new to emerge. So the past however long it's been, six, seven, eight months, um, I've just been really satisfied creatively. I've been, been doing a lot of, I've been working on a new record and I wrapped that up, which is this wonderful journey and been doing some beautiful collaborations. Um, and that's been fun, you know, getting into other people's worlds. And I've been working on a book and I actually had started that right before all this dropped. So that was kind of good timing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, man, been busy and it was, but, but, but not traveling just going just here to Southern Utah, back and forth, being at my two spots. And I've really enjoyed not being on a plane. I mean, I was that guy who was all like really watching my Delta status and points and which seat will I be in and, and the luggage and all the stuff that was really, I was really wrapped up in like the drama of traveling. And I, I've enjoyed not doing that. I miss connecting with people a lot. Like yeah. that was very nourishing. I missed that. Yeah. And uh, I did have one question when you just, cause this, uh, uh, this is foreign to me, but when you go to China to play, what's, what's the, what's the setup there? I mean, they, do they take care of your airfare? Is it like financially, do they like make it really worth your while? Or is it like, uh, I just want to go to China and I kind of get my way paid and no, no. Like, I mean, I, I don't think there's one answer for that. You know, it's like, like saying what's it like coming to the u.s as an artist but in this particular instance it was it was awesome like they reached out to me the year before and i couldn't make it because it was kind of last minute and i remember they asked me like well could you do like a a skype thing you know we'll pay you a little bit i'm like sure you know and i remember i was in i was on tour and i was in denver and i had done a east force ceremony concert and because of the time change it was like midnight i knew it was late at night I had to stay up and I wasn't quite sure like what they were asking me to do. You know, there's this yeah. language barrier. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there at the computer waiting. For, and then like all of a sudden it pops up and I see like a, these like they're in some control room and they're just kind of like, okay, okay. So you, you go live in like two minutes. And I'm like, uh, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> you want me to save you things? You're like, introduce your song. 10 laws. And I'm like, okay. And, and then I saw the view of like the stage and it was this outdoor kind of amphitheater. And there was, and then there was this big screen and then my face came on the screen and it was all Chinese people. There weren't like international people there. And they had like super high production, like all these lights and like dancers and stuff. And I still wasn't sure what it was. I was just kind of like, hi, I'm East Forest. And I'm this is kind of what I'm trying to do, yada, yada. And they're like, thank you. And then the screen went black and they, I was, they were done with me. And I was like, what was that? No. I was like five minutes and that was it. 
And then he, and then like six months later, they like say, we're doing this again. This time we'd like to make sure you can come out. And since we had the lead time, we put it all together. And, and I did. No, And the Chinese hospitality is like next level. You don't have like just a person who's nice helping you with your bags. You have 10 people, you know, helping you oh, get shit. to your room. It's like, um, it's, it's next level like hospitality. And they, they put me up at this complex where they had um, this festival and it was all modern. They gave me, they gave us this whole apartment that was like straight up the nicest place I've ever stayed it on, you know, on tour yeah. probably. And that was amazing. And, and they, and I, I, they had this giant stage where they had all sorts of acts and I, I don't know, it was, it was an interesting experience, but I loved, I would definitely go back. Um, I really loved, there's a huge burgeoning energy and scene of wellness in Asia, particularly in, in China with like, and it's a very strange phenomenon that I've witnessed it myself and a couple of my friends who are meditation teachers here <clears throat> where they're higher, the, the, the new Chinese money, new Chinese wealth, they starts to westernize their own lives and they hire Westerners, white people, essentially to come teach them old Eastern ideas. Really? We're all, well, I mean, I'm kind of, come on. I stand on the science of lots of Eastern ideas. It's all universal ideas, but these are old traditions that originated there. Yes. hundred percent. Coming full circle. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm talking about living in the modern world and meditation and, and music. And it's like, I didn't come up with this stuff. This was, you know, goes back to like Confucius, you know, like yeah. the Buddha. So that was interesting. It's kind of like a strange story and how it all comes full circle. Yeah. And then, and then I think as Westerners, we, we look towards the East because as you said, that's like the foundation of that inner work and, and, you know, kind of, you know, for me at least, you know, speaks for myself, but that's, as I've been kind of deeper on this journey within the last, you know, two to three years, it's been feel this big pull towards the East to just have a better understanding of me and what that means with the soul. And so it's, it's really interesting that, yeah, the, the, the roots are there. They have their own experience, but they, they almost appreciate the, the translation, the way that it's transmuted through the Western side. They, it seems to be something to do with evolution of culture. This this Western thing. Uh, it just seems to be how there's a progression of, culture and for better or worse but people's waistlines tend to get bigger of course i mean that's what happens everywhere like japan and even anytime they think of money and we it happened to us i mean yep and it's sort of like gluttony so uh but but they have such an incredible history in such a huge country and uh, the the people are really cool and it was cool too at the festival, like to see the different types of people. It's just like when you go around here, it's like, oh, those are the Chinese burners. And you know, yeah, those are the Chinese tech nerds. Oh, there's, they're the hipsters. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's and awesome. That cool. I love seeing that. You know, it's just, it's just like people are kind of the same everywhere. Mm, yeah. Well said. Now I mentioned it earlier. Can you give us a little background on the, um, the birth of East Forest? Yeah. Uh, I've told that story many times, but it essentially, uh, I was in New York city and it was in the two thousands. I was in my twenties and I was doing the whole like fame game, trying to make it. I was an actor 
No shit. And I went, yeah, I went to graduate school for acting and. Any roles, any real, anything we'd uh, see in? Yeah. I mean, I, for 10, almost 10 years, I did it. I did it professionally, but a lot of it was uh, theater. So that stuff comes and goes, but a lot of it, I was, I kind of found a niche doing a lot of new plays, which was really cool because it just feels like you're on, I guess, the edge of whatever's being born as opposed to, and that was, that was cool. It was like new playwrights works and helping workshop stuff and, and then be part of the productions. But, you know, I did the usual film and TV that's in New York. I did one, but this, this actually relates to music in that uh, I did one part in the movie Hitch with Will Smith. And it was like one day of work, right? With Eva Mendez. I never met Mr. Smith, just Eva and some other people. And um, I didn't think too much of it. It didn't pay a whole lot. Films don't pay a lot. And then the film comes out and it's like a bazillion people see it, right? And you spend 10 years. And I did some plays that I was really proud of, right? Really proud of. Nobody really saw them. No one's going, and that's that. But I, I was like, wow, that was hard work. And I was just like, I was doing the best I could do and all the skills I knew. And then you do this one day on a film and I would be, I, I swear to, I swear to fucking God, to this day, to this day, that was how many years ago? 20 years ago, maybe more. Yeah. At least 20. I, I was on the subway um, recently visiting New York and some guy walks, just some guy walks up to me. He's like, were you in Hitch? <laughs> Come on. Favorite movie. I love that scene. Like, I'm like, I was like, how how do you even rap? That's that's so weird. It gets weirder. I was in Germany performing. And this is a long time ago. And I used to go and just try to scrap a tour together. And I'm playing at some gig at some small town in Germany. And they set up a fairly large audience, like 300 seats. And there's maybe four people there. And it, just, it had rained all day. So like every, I think everyone assumed the show's not happening, but they did it anyway. So I play my set. I'm kind of depressed because I'm like, man, this is just, I've had so many gigs in my life. You're just like, I, I just want to quit. This is so hard. You know, mm. I, I try, you flew all the way, you do the thing, you drove probably for two days and there's two people or three people, four people. And afterwards, uh, there's a tradition with a lot of European gigs. They give you a little place to stay and they give you some food, some eating food in the little restaurant. It was sort of this complex and there was some other events going on, like a film and some girl is in the, uh, there and she's talking to me and she's like, she's coming up. She's like, wanted to talk to me. And I'm like, Oh man, thank God. You know, it's just a human to human, somebody like connected, even though it's three people. It's like, maybe that's why I was here. It's like soul to soul. Mm-hmm. And, but she's, and she says, she's like, you know, I just wanted to ask you something. Were you in the movie Hit? Because that is my favorite movie. And I've seen that movie like a hundred times. And she never mentioned the performance once. It was just like about that one day on this thing, you know? And it shows you the power of like Hollywood and TV and stuff and like what that can do, how it creates things like Trump and so forth. I mean, it's very powerful. But it was just like the cosmic joke for me. It was just like the guru showing up in drag and just being like, yep, you think you're, you know, what are you chasing? And, uh, so that's a long tangent about when I was, I was in New York and how did East Forest happen? I was an actor and I, I had bands. I was into music. I was always into music and I had this, this pop rock 
kind of piano, indie piano thing, band going that I was really serious about, but I was just like pushing, 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 and it wasn't really going anywhere. And, uh, excuse me. And, uh, and, and 2008 rolled around and the world started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Occupy Wall Street and the recession. And just like now. And, just like now. And I also started to feel this interior collapse just like now. We're all sort of as above, so below. Is this uh, uh, 2008, 2000? Is this all you who's orchestrating all this for everyone no, else? No, like, I dude, you could keep it contained. I, I did not bring Corona back <laughs> and spread it to everyone. Um, no. And, and basically I started seeking because things were collapsing. And so things weren't really working like that because of the collapse, um, the acting wasn't happening much. My band that I've been pushing for five years, I felt like it was just like, I just kept replacing drummers and there were alcoholics involved and all these just, you know, just got harder and harder. And I was, my day job was photography, which was a great day job. I did a lot of portraiture, but you know, that went with the economy. So I, the work was kind of slowing down. So work was slowing down and, uh, yeah, man. And so this is when ayahuasca was kind of in the shadows of our culture. For sure. And I had friends who were, I was a, I've always been a seeker, uh, who had experienced this and they invited me and I was not interested because <laughs> I had read one article about ayahuasca and Rolling Stone about Daniel Pinchbeck and it, it, he had an eye shade, a diaper and a bucket to vomit into <laughs> the it. diapers I tough I, one. Yeah. I'm like, I don't understand why <laughs> you would want to do this. Um, but eventually I did do it and I had a very powerful, beautiful experience. And I had had other experiences with mushrooms before that in my life that I didn't understand, but were very informative for me. And so then I really started to just, everything started to explode for me on the interior landscape. And I started getting into meditation and, and more ceremonies and learning about uh, sound healing and how music leads that yourself through this experience, how it's the central vehicle of the ceremony across all these cultures and, and history. And because things were falling apart, I had some time and I had just the motivation to say, I want to make music for me. That's a tool for me to use in these experiences, particularly with psilocybin or it was inspired by psilocybin because I'd had certain experiences in my life that were profound with the combination of music and mushrooms in certain moments. Can you explain that a little bit for people? Because a lot of my listeners are, are, have never had, you know, that kind of ceremonial experience and maybe don't understand just how like the music is the, really the lifeblood of the experience or can really guide it. And Well, it, traditionally, if you look at like an uh, ayahuasca ceremony, which is uh, the, the container of that ceremony has probably been the same potentially for thousands of years. And the songs that shaman sings in the dark while you're in this experience, the Akaros, is pretty much all that's going on. And they look at the songs themselves as the, the tool of the ceremony. It's calling forth this, the spirit of the ayahuasca. So it's, it's, in, it's critical to them. But not only that, not just on a metaphysical level, but just, as I said, it's, it's, that's what's happening. That's what you're hearing. There's nothing to see aside from the... Uh, any psychedelic visions you're having. So there's just this music that's like your anchor and it's like the guide that that's taking you through this experience. 
and things like the rattle or a shaker or the, the branches, this is also in training your brain, which we now know, which is what gets you into sort of a trance state. And in these trance states, your mind is very receptive to essentially, it's like being in light hypnosis, like planting seeds in a way, the liminal space. Lakota sweat lodges, the same thing. They've had, they're very strict about how it's done. And so it's, that's, so you know, it's been done like this forever. And it's also about song in the dark. And this, and the song is, is, is again, the backbone of the experience. We could go on and on like this, where you look at San Pedro or, or peyote. So, uh, I paid attention to this and by experiencing these different ceremonies, I was learning experientially what that technology is and then learning what I could about modern sound healing knowledge that was out there. And so we could learn what, what can I do intentionally with music. And I, as I said, it had certain experiences that weren't ceremonial. I just stumbled into moments where maybe I was listening to music and I had, there was a moment during the experience with the mushrooms that was totally ineffable where I felt like I was in this space that I can't explain, but it felt more real than real than I've ever felt. And it felt more important to me about like, oh, that's what consciousness really is. That's who I really am kind of thing. Mm. And it was so important and beautiful, but I had no elders, no one to explain what that was or how I got there, how to get back, nothing. They were just like these very powerful personal moments I'd had. So I wanted to repeat that. And that's why I was trying to make music for myself to use to get there. And that's what I was, I did that just on my own, just for, just really for fun. There was no agenda. I had no, no intention of selling it or commodifying it because I thought no one would be interested in it. And it's weird. And anyway, after a year of doing that, I had an album, an experience and to honor the, the influence of the, the psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms colloquially known. I took some, some mushrooms in my bedroom in Brooklyn. And I remember I went on a walk to wait for them to kick in. And then I, I went back and I put the headphones on and I laid on my bed. I hit play on the record I just made, which I was clearly quite familiar with because I just spent a year making it. But when the medicine comes on, you get your frontal cortex, you still get a little confused. I'm like, I don't really, how do, I don't know what I did. I'm just experiencing it now. Uh. And as, as I went through this journey, it's only a 45 minute album, but it, it was like a lifetime. It had also contained the field recordings. I got into just making little field recordings. And I was also getting into like backpacking again and hiking and nature and wilderness. All this stuff was happening at once. And I was going up to the Adirondacks, the closest wilderness. It was far. <laughs> it's like six hours. Shit. And recording things like crickets and fall leaves and the times where this, I was in a place and I felt that, in, that similar ineffable feeling and I would record the sound that was happening. I felt like there was a connection. But I also recorded things like my parents and places I'd went and people talking and just urban sounds in New York City, just stuff. Yeah. And I put it all in there. It was woven in there. So when I was listening to the record, I was inadvertently hearing everywhere I'd been in the last year. Like my mom talking about being scared of retiring and all the places I'd been, including all the nature spots. And it, of course, there's all this synchronicity happening of like, and when it ended, it felt like my, my soul had tricked my ego into making a musical tool to use in that 
specific instance in order to transcend and now into like a new sense of being. And I felt like there was before that and there was after that. And I remember I stood up when it was over and just felt like exploded with this love and like, I can't, I can't believe that this just happened. And I took the headphones off. I swear to God, just like in the movie, the matrix, like I breathed and the whole room, like breathed, like stretched, like, yeah. and I said, I went like, whoa, or something. And then the whoa, like reverberated off into the cosmos. And I was just like, I felt like I had been reincarnated. And that was the beginning of East Forest because that just, that lit the fuse for everything. And I could continue how it all went from there. But I mean, that was the seminal moment, uh, September 17th. And it was this kind of day of illumination. <laughs> every, do you, every year do you do is, do you kind of recognize when September 17th rolls around? Is there any? Yeah. Yeah. I tend to take note of it for sure. Um, but it more than anything, I try to use that experience as the, the rudder of my ship, like my North star to always remind myself when offers come like China and you're negotiating fees or whatever it is, the commodification that, that ensues to remember why I'm doing this and my original seed that I had planted and to stay true to that because I, I have to do that every day. Uh, and it's a dance. And that's sort of the dance we all do with our consciousness and our minds as we are in this modern world, but we're, we're spiritual beings, we're animals at the same time. That is what it means to be a human being. But I want to stay true and, and remember the saliency of that memory of that experience. Yeah. And I, I love that, the, the, as you said, like it, it's, it's one of the things that's draw me to Buddhism, not that I've gone deep into the work, but just the idea that not only can it be both things, but it actually is both things. And to recognize that I do have to negotiate fees and I have to do these things, but it doesn't have to be the one thing I focus on. It's like, I can do that and still stay true to what, uh, you know, what the gift is, what I'm here to share, how I'm here to serve. And it's like that the, it's the intersection and the intermeshing of those things that I think allows us to feel like we're in both of those worlds. And we're not just sitting on a mountaintop checked out. Like I'm just here to be spiritual or I'm just grinding to try to make as much money as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's always a dance, the dance of life. So it's been a wild ride, man, since then. I never, I never would have thought like that would lead to like us talking today and all like everything that's happened since then. Um, but I am just filled with gratitude that I've been bestowed any gifts or opportunities. And my job, I feel, is just to step up to the plate. I'm not responsible for what comes through. Like whatever came through in that record is what comes through all of us. It's, it's the larger uh, universal, it's, it's, it's the oneness. And that, can, that comes through all of us all the time. It's just how do we open up to it? How do we transmute it? How do we uh, let it, it's about, that's what we talk about flow state. I really feel like it's a flow. It's coming through you. And uh, when there's a constipation of energy in a sense, or when you're, you're not allowing what wants to come through, or you're, or you're not, you're stopping something. I think that can be just like when you're, you're constipated with, it's uncomfortable. It it's is healthy. And that's yeah. the, that's the signal like that some, something's not quite right. And it's not allowing that part of you, that, that soul, that heart to emerge. And then that be the guide, you know, for how to move forward. And it is, it's the, 
we do, we get inundated with all these things and we go through cycles of it. Like you were just talking about, you know, what happened up until 2008 and that was kind of this hard stop for you, but you found yourself very much in the same type of cycle with the touring and like, cause that's part of like how you put food on the table. Right. And you were enjoying it, but it's kind of a necessary deal to yeah. be quote unquote, a successful artist. But I kind of, I mean, I took many years off there, so to speak, but no, I enjoy the game and, and I always have to keep an eye on myself. Like, am I wrapped up in burning the fire of the game? Like, I don't want the map to become the territory in a sense. What's that mean? Uh, Like, I don't want the game to become the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's the icing on the cake. And you can enjoy icing, but you don't want to forget the cakes underneath it. That's, I mean, it's sort of nice talking about the North Star that, that, that I'm aiming for all the time. I can't control these storms that are happening around me, but I can point the ship. And I have to do that continually because the weather changes every day. And the world changes every day. And you have to always check in about why am I doing this? Or is, is this, this thing, this opportunity or what I'm doing in, I'm really here just to serve my own soul's journey as we all are. I trust that if it's in service to that, it's in service to the greater good. Meaning like what, and that might not be what I quote want, you know, but it's probably like, that's what's best. And I, but I don't know what that is. I just have to trust and watch how that, that flow goes. And uh, it's a process of, of loosening the grip and, and, and listening and learning to get in touch with that intuitive sense. Uh, over the years, I just try to like tune that antenna of like, you know, so I can suffer a little less because I'm like, I knew at the beginning perhaps what I was, I knew. But I had to go through all the machinations until I could yeah. come back to that. And now maybe I can try to shorten that process and just like just trust the knowing. Yeah. And don't go through all the hoops. Yeah. And it's like I was saying kind of in the intro, it's it's really exercising that uh, patience muscle. Like, can I just be with this right now where I am and just trust that whatever is whatever I'm about to embark on, whatever's about to present itself is the right thing for me, versus really trying to you know, get that sense of control. And we know like there, there, there's just the illusion of control, but that's what, for me, that's what really binds me up is when I'm really trying to pull the levers on several different things, I get completely out of like what I'm here to do and into the, the headspace of what's the next move. What's where's strategy? Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I've got some medicine for that. I was just talking about this uh, the other day with Rada on the hike. I was like, everyone now, it, as part of your practice, I can't recommend this enough. Even if it's 15 minutes a day, leave your house with no phone, no keys, no wallet. And you can't buy anything. You can't contact anyone. You can't look anything up. up. And the keys thing is just like, I don't know why it adds another layer of like security. Mm. You will feel so free. And you need to have some time every day where you essentially do nothing. And you let your mind wander. I, you don't need to just be like, oh, I need to have time where I'm not thinking. It's like, ah, just let go and enjoy the deliciousness of just, ah, yeah, oh, that thought, ooh, fascinating. Yes, ooh, I'm over here. Yeah. It's childlike, really. We did this all the time as kids, but we don't do it. We don't emancipate ourselves from the shackles of our modernity. It's not that complicated. So 
these small bits can actually uh, be a quite a valuable additive, like yeast in bread. It's a small additive that makes the loaf rise. And yeah. you need to do this for the human soul to be able to uh, speak through the fog. Yeah, I love that practice too, because I think a lot of times when we go into a meditation, sometimes there's that extra layer of, I'm, am I doing this right? You know, and you're focusing on something and you're doing the breath. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's another component to that that's asking something of you generally. When you're just saying, let's go out it's and... It's desire. Yeah, I, it, I, I was just talking to Lauren Roche. He wrote the Radiant Sutras on my podcast, and he's a meditation teacher for 50 plus years. And he thinks that that mindset and that modality, the way a lot of meditation has been taught, is actually dis- is destructive and dangerous and counterproductive. Like, why are your thoughts the enemy? Yeah. Why are we demonizing? Why are we pushing everything away? It's like, that's the engine of creation. I mean, maybe what if you looked at it just with sort of wonder and joy? It's like, what if your meditation could be much broader and it's sort of like whatever feels good to you? I mean, playing music is a kind of meditation and, and just going on a run or a walk can be, as we know, meditative, but changing your definitions about what it means. It's not about a renunciation, perhaps. All the time. Yeah, that's great. And you've, you've certainly... Uh throughout this pandemic have put out some amazing meditation work, especially the meditation for chaotic times was something that I really uh, appreciated when that came out. And I know that people that I'm friends with on Instagram, I had posted it and they found this sense of just being grounded in a, in a really challenging time, especially when you put that out, it was almost at the height of, it felt like the height of what was going on. It happened on. really fast. Yeah. It was like right when COVID hit, I think I put that out within a week. And I remember we, I think we all felt initially, I don't know, there was like a huge energy burst inside all of us. It's like, whoa, like there was a feeling of what do I do? How do I feel? A lot of things. How can I help? Yeah, um, that was a big one. And I was sitting right here, I remember. And I just, I just was like, I'd been thinking about putting out meditations like that for a while. And I'd put them out on my podcast already, but I hadn't put them anywhere else and i just i just grabbed a mic and just recorded it and then i i sent it to my friend to i mixed it within a few days sent it to my friend taylor dupree to master it and he had it done within another few days and then it was out into distribution right after that and i i just just was a very quick thing and then i released three more a little album called still i think a couple weeks later yeah and a month anyway so that was very much um just felt like it's something I needed. And I thought if I need it, then I'm sure it will resonate with some other people too. I'm looking for those kinds of simple meditations that are, they're guided, but they're very much about the felt experience and, and really working to just gently and easily cultivate into that, that feeling of infiniteness, uh, that feeling of connectedness uh, and letting go of things. And there's a, there's a, there's a peace in that. There's a love in that. And there's a reassurance in that. And it's something that I often feel is missing from a lot of that austere meditative stuff. Uh, it's like, man, can we just, can we just, and, and I use my music in them. And music is a really easy, good way to really amplify the emotional quality of it. Yeah, amazing. And I'll, we'll be sure to link to, we're going to link to a bunch of stuff in the show notes, but yeah, that, that in particular. And, and, I would be remiss because you had mentioned earlier, like us here today, like who, for me, 
you know, this, 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 I feel like started back when I was gifted three of your albums by our brother, Kyle. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Kingsbury. And you were, you were performing for the fit for service, I believe. Yeah. Where was that? Oh, that was in California. Probably Cali. Yeah. And it was a big group and we did a ceremony concert. And then afterwards, I remember him coming up and be like, I want to buy three records. I want you to sign them each for a guy named Cal. I wrote it on the front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. beautiful. And that was that was my start of, you know, learning about obviously your music first. And then that took me down the it, this is this is kind of how I operate. When when I find something that I'm connected to, I just go deeper into it. That's why you've seen me on three of your East Forest councils when you've done the the yeah, live stream. Yeah, but for me, it's like I I you know, I always feel like it's such a gift. Like here's someone who is doing something for, that is very moving for me. And then there's an ability to connect on a deeper level. And so um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about like the live stream format and then what the council kind of that, yeah. that container. I mean, I've always wanted to have different doorways for people to walk through, trying to meet people where they're at. So for some people that's music. And that's sort of, that's definitely my foundation. But for some people, it might be a podcast like talks. For some people, it might be a retreat. For some people, it might be a book. It might be something else. And so it, I was just wanting to kind of meet them where they're at. And it's all like little lines with bait on them. You know, for some, there's the gateway drugs, like uh, <laughs> 10 Laws or something, which is great. I like the song a lot. I'm just saying it's easy to, there's words and it's, it's got a beat. You're like, okay, yeah, what is this? Yeah, and then maybe you dig into my catalog a little more, and then eventually you find your way to Music for Mushrooms, a soundtrack for the psychedelic practitioner. It's five hours, there's no words, and it's a deep dive. Yeah, it is. Maybe you find yourself in Southern Utah or at Esalen, and we're doing a retreat, and you're like, it's a whole weekend or a a week, or or we did, because of COVID, these virtual ceremonies, and I hadn't done something like that before where it was, inspired by the very first medicine ceremonies that I, I referenced to at, in 2008 when I was first starting. And those were psilocybin ceremonies, guiding uh, like groups of 20 people in, uh, in the dark through a, a psychedelic journey and using the music as the, the guide and with a strong uh, protocol about you know what our agreements are and, and so forth but it's simple and that that created the musical lexicon that became everything that i i do and it was just truly from a, the practical need of how how do how can i do this alone okay loop pedals what works what doesn't work what what's what kind of arc do we need what kind of musical techniques work better than others and and creating what i find to be needed because it's lacking is a essentially a, a new American shamanic tradition centered around psilocybin in particular. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. And we didn't have that. Now we do. Yeah, right. And it's, it's needed. I, so I wanted to, to add my voice to it, and I'm sure other voices will be added to this as well, as they should. And um, by developing that, we had created a protocol that was really working well, but it was this very small private thing. So when COVID came around, I thought, man, I mean, 
yeah, I could give a concert and stuff, but what if I gave a ceremony concert in that style where I kind of invite that for people? So one of the things that makes those ceremonies unique is I'm improvising, which is different than like playing songs I've released, right? And like strictly improvising. There's no plan. You're just kind of hoping you're going to get into various flow states and you're going to go in it. You're going to go out of it. Is there a way to describe it to someone who's like, I don't know what you're talking about. How are you not just playing what you've already made? Yeah. It's a flow of sometimes it feels really connected where it's about following your bliss. It's following your excitement. And that's where I find creative spirit to speak through. So I'm, it's, it's, this creative spark of, of something just like, oh, I want to, oh, this chord, that sounds good. What if I did, oh, I could add this thing to it. It's like getting out of the way of that mm. and out of the way of the judgment of it or thinking about it too much. And inevitably it will go through phases back and forth where I am at times thinking about it and I feel like it's not going well and then I should quit. And this is all these different mm. things go through my head mm. and then I can notice them and, and release that and just keep going. And this is the same thing in life. So my re- rehearsal process to do re- for to do a ceremony is that, like every day, playing for a while. And what I'm mostly practicing, yes, I'm practicing levels and getting familiar with different sounds and stuff, just getting that in the body. But it's really I'm practicing the mind practice because inevitably it's like so every time I'm playing and I get to a spot, I'm like, this isn't a very this isn't that interesting, but I just, this idea I just started, like a loop started. Yeah. And I feel the impulse to go, well, stop it and start a new one. But you can't, I don't, you don't do that in ceremony. You got to <laughs> write it out now. So I practice writing it out. And usually, inevitably, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, that same thing now is developed into something I'm like, this is the shit. Oh. This is so fun. Like, oh, and I never knew how I was going to get there. And I, I was about ready to quit. But I just, he's like, just throw that judgment away and just keep playing and literally like being playful. Mm. And that playfulness is a really, really important energy. It's the, it's the main way that I think uh, the creative spirit comes through. And so I, I experienced certain shamans when I was doing some of these ceremonies that had this playful energy, like, like this sort of court jester, sort of mm-hmm. trickster energy like bouncing around the room i'm like where's the sound or and then he picks up some weird bells i'm like oh that's so funny or like you know and they had that energy it's not always so in, intensely serious and although it is but it has it has that reminder of like it's it's childlike and so i i did some virtual ceremonies where i essentially uh, would did it the same way except i'm here in my studio streaming and people are around the world doing their journeys in different ways, most likely, but I'm holding that container for them and guiding them through. And I never, I never would have done that otherwise. And I never would have thought that was even possible, but to have several thousand people journeying around the world at the same time versus 20 in a room in the dark. And then they could, like, they're all on YouTube still. That's right. And you, people now, this morning I woke up and uh, I look at my phone. The guy's like, so-and-so gave you $5. And it says like, thank you for the beautiful ceremony I had last night. And I'm like, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that was, that was, that was October 8th when I did that. So um, that's, then it has a life of its own. It's not about me anymore. And that's how I feel about anything I've released in the world. It's now, it's its own entity, like a child. 
and I love watching it just go do its thing. And, um, and I bless that journey and people have their experience with that. And I'm, uh, just amazed by that. Yeah. The yeah. Beauty of digital technology, digital shamanism in a way. Yeah, man. And then, so those, yeah. those would generally happen on Saturdays. And then after your first one, I think it was your second one is when you introduced the idea of the East Forest Council, oh, Council. which is beautiful. That was just to go deeper. Yeah. I'm always looking for opportunities to meet people such as yourself, uh, soul to soul and, uh, and, and be able to witness one another because that's, that's all it's about. Yeah. It, good, good counsel to me is about essentially that good conversation, good witnessing. Mm. And so it was, a lot of these things are just experiments and ideas or just an idea. And I wanted to see if certain people would want to go deeper and certain people do. And I think it's, I think that's beautiful. I always felt very nourished by them. Uh, felt very like, uh, it was valuable just to, especially in COVID, yeah. to gather that way. And I'd like to find more opportunities for that. And I haven't quite, um, I've just been quite busy finishing this record and so forth. But I think there's something there, almost like a salon style or council style that it doesn't have to be around. And I don't have to wait until I'm doing uh, a virtual ceremony. Yeah, awesome. And then, you know, one of the things, I think I mentioned it earlier, um, from your album, Music for Mushrooms, you came up with, I thought was such an amazing title, Spores, which as a, you know, someone who's big into vinyl, I love that I could actually play that, yeah. that style uh, on my record player. Yeah. Uh, Rada, my partner, came up with the, I have to give her credit. Fucking so, nailed it. I'm like, that's so yeah, good. I was, yeah, it's brilliant. It's like, what do I call this, like, shorter version of the record? Um, I had, it was, it's, it's hard to fit that much music on a record record. I thought about that. Like, he's never going to, was it going to be like eight albums? Like, how's he ever going to do this? I, it's, it's a constant issue of, I think about 18 minutes is the usual limit. And I think those are 24 minutes. So it's, what is that? 48 minutes is the whole thing. Yeah. There's this guy Dietrich that cuts records and he can do it. <laughs> he's like, I had to find like a guy who could do it and do it well. Yeah. Um, and I'm going through the same thing with my new record that it's going to be tw- uh, 24 minutes aside. And I emailed them like, can you still do that <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> before didn't... I commit to this? Yeah. Uh, because if you can't, I mean, I, I, I might as well make the record longer. But. Yeah. And how, uh, how has creating this record in this space been different than previous? The, the, the one I just did? Yeah. Is yeah. it is it um, is it done yet? Is the mastering done? Is it just a matter of getting not it? Done. No, I mixed it, um, but I'm. It's called possible right now, and the process was a bit different because uh, I do like to oftentimes, depending on the record. But this one was a studio record. I want to bring in people to play on it, which is hard to do. Oh and shit! Was yeah, hard. it was hard to do, and I had certain friends that I really wanted to be on it who weren't comfortable. So they weren't on it. Mm-hmm. And we went through the things like, well, could you do at home? And could I like zoom in? And, and that some of that didn't work. And so I had to stretch those limits. And I did go to Portland uh, to get, record some folks in a studio. And we just like wore masks. And when they were in the ISO booth, they, they didn't have to. So that worked. And that was just tracking like some strings and bass and stuff. And then I brought... Uh, some members of the Boise Philharmonic here into this studio in Boise 
and they just wore masks. We all, it was, it sucked. The masks, it was really hard, you know, but mm -hmm. there was really no, we had to shut everything. You know, I couldn't like get lots of airflow during the takes. Oh shit. But yeah. we did it. And I worked with an arranger, Lorna Dune. It's her artist name. She's an amazing musician. And I'd written some string parts, but she helped me kind of expand them and take them to a, a bigger level. Mm. And then I recorded them. And there's a lot of strings on this record. And some of the string parts, um, I mean, one of them I'm really proud of. It's very contemporary classical. It's a song called Undying. And it's, it's so beautiful. The piano's just doing this really simple thing, really low. And the strings are kind of building, but there's essentially nine string parts. But every time I recorded the string parts, there are three players with four, five mics. So now there's, you know, all those tracks. I and mean, there must've been, there's so many tracks. It's the first time my entire like system like crashed just cause like too many tracks <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and mixing it was a nightmare, but um, it definitely felt like taking things up a notch and it was very much in the energy of everything that's happening and this idea of possible and this idea of, I've been thinking a lot about infinite possibilities, how that's always the case that there's infinite possibilities mm -hmm. in the next moment, but we don't, we had a kind of certainty, a false narrative before that we, we knew what was coming next. And we could certainly plan in a way that felt, but you really didn't, if you were honest about it, it was like, well, we don't know, nobody knows. And that's still the case. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we, that what is possible and, and the possibility and the role of individual choice in that, not just being a victim and playing with this energy of the germination of choice. And so that was very much in my mind when I was writing and recording and mixing this record. And I'm excited to share it. And I got, I also pulled... <laughs> two samples from my podcast and use those as like people talking in my songs. One's um, Bio Akomalafe, who is just this beautiful soul. And we had this amazing conversation. And I was like, I was like, I should, I'd never done that before. I was like, why? I mean, I couldn't, it was just using what you can. In the, I only use field recordings that I've recorded. And I was like, well, I recorded those, <laughs> you know? And, and the other one's Lorraine Weiss, who is actually the, um, saxophone player on the Ramdas record. She's a saxophone shaman, which is extremely unusual mm. uh, and beautiful soul too. And we had this beautiful conversation. And, and so I, I got those two people doing some talkies as we like to call them. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's several songs are instrumental and, and some, so some of it's kind of um, ambient pop, orchestral pop. And then some of it's like contemporary classical for sure. When are you very, hoping, very acoustic. When are you hoping to release it by? I'd love to release it like the beginning of the new year. Um, that's my goal. I thought about November, but then, you know, with elections and holidays, it's, it's tough, t it's hard to release things then. And, and I thought there's no harm in just taking a break. And I just released spores mm -hmm. and that's that true. some breathing room. Yeah. I released a lot of stuff this year. So I figured people are, are used to, shall we say content creators putting things out like, once a month there's if some not even more right that, which is kind of nuts it used to be like an album every two years yeah. you know and then you tour it now it's like there's this expectation of just new content all the time like we're so used to hearing music it's like asking a fish what water is mm. yet i don't think people i certainly before i was into 
music, I didn't understand how it was made. I literally didn't understand what a band did at practice. I was like, what do they do? Like, how do you practice? How do they like do that? Well, now, you know, think of a house being built out of bricks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of bricks. And end of the day, every single one has to be picked up, put mortar on it and put in the wall. And you might have a hundred guys and that's going to go a lot faster. But if it's one person, it just takes what it takes. There's no way to avoid that. Every single brick has to be touched by hand, mortared and put in the wall to build the house. Same with an album or a song. Every single piece is worked on, EQ'd multiple times over, uh, listened to, changed. It's, it's very time consuming. And and just to create something and then to have to have something coming out all the time. It's, it's a, it's a bit crazy. So I hope that doesn't accelerate because it's just, it's impossible. But, well, you can, that's, that's all up to you, brother. You don't need that. Yeah. Too I don't feel like I'm forced <laughs> to, I, I just, I think a lot of us have been stretching our releases out. So it's like yeah. you release, instead of just dropping an album, you know, you release a track and then another track. Mm, and then another that's track. right. Yeah. And so just in a practical sense, just to give people maybe a little bit more framework, let's say you've written all the music. Okay, like I've got all the music day one. Now you've got to record. Well, that and- never happened. Yeah. <laughs> day one. No, day one is like, I have nothing. Well, I'm saying and- we're starting. That's going to be day one. You've written all the music. Oh, okay. And so now all tracked. Okay. Yeah. So now you're going to go play it in the studio from that moment until we get to hear the album. What does that generally take for you in a normal period of time? Uh, um, well, assuming, so you're saying you're going into mixing, essentially. Once, once I go into the mixing stage, it could probably be several months of mixing and then mastering usually takes a month or two. And then you're also then doing all that backend stuff of like artwork. And then if you're, you know, depending on where you're at, in your career, you're doing things like hiring publicists and working with a label and making a plan. You might have a tour, whole tour schedule planned around it. So you need a lot of lead time, at least at least six months to get all that stuff. You're just kind of your ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a year, damn, two year minimum, at least six months. I mean, because the mixing and the mastering and the planning, probably six months, but. Yeah. The whole thing, you know, it's hard to do it faster than a year from start to finish. It's, it depends on the, depends on what it is. I mean, if it's a, like I've, re, the music for mushrooms, for instance, that was recorded in a ceremony live and improvised. So in sense, it was written and recorded in one weekend, mm-hmm. right? It's, so it's very different than laboring over something in a studio where you're continually to revisit it and rethink it and rework it. It's like, well, it's, that's done. I can't change that. Then it just becomes a process of essentially mastering it and working on the artwork and stuff. So it can move a little faster, but it's still like, I think that one, when it was recorded in a July of 2018, it came out a year later. So that's amazing. Well, that's good. That gives, that gives me some, some really good context for what that process actually looks like. Now you'd mentioned Ram Dass and before I switch gears to that because I think that's, I'm fascinated yeah. by that relationship in the, in the work that you've done with that. But, uh, with regards to you collaborating with other musicians, he's been on your podcast. He's a dear brother of mine, but any 
idea that you and Porangi are going to do any work together? Have you guys discussed it? We, I think we've chatted, you know, just casually, but that'd be fun. He's such a sweetheart. I mean, such a deep soul. So, um, yeah, man, add that to the list of cool things to do. Yeah, I'd love to just to see the two medicine men get together and, and really share that. That'd be amazing. Yeah, no, thanks for the reminder. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. Yeah, I'm glad I crossed paths with him. Yeah, no doubt. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play everyone just a, a little clip from uh, the album with Ram Dass, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. just learned that you actually went to Maui and those were all original recordings of your conversations with Ram Das. Yeah. It goes back to that ethos that I was trying to have everything be something I've recorded firsthand. Yeah. That was in 2018 or 17 or sorry, 18 or 19. I get 18 in June. I went out there and got to spend about a week there and recorded essentially asked him questions and recorded his responses and put it to music. It was amazing. 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 Yeah. What was it like to be in his space? Oh, Can you describe it? It's like, prefer- the, it's like the spiritual white house. Uh, <laughs> basically. I mean, that's what I felt when the, the door I was in his, we did it in his, uh, his study. Yeah. He had this really this room that was like full of books and tons of pictures of Maharaji and this big recliner that he'd spent a lot of time in. And, uh, it was on the second floor overlooking on the North shore of Maui. So you're, you're looking out on this really large, long sloping hill that went all the way down to the ocean and it was warm. So the windows are open and it's breezy and there's birds outside and like really warm, you know, it's probably in the eighties all the time. And, 
and the door shut and I was alone with them. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this is not a normal occurrence to be alone. Cause there's always people around. There's always, always there's tons of people around. It's amazing to meet him being his home. But there's always a, there's the cook and the friends and this thing's going on and someone's doing this and you're just there, which is cool. But I was like, Oh, we're alone. This is crazy. That's when I was like, this is like the white house. <laughs> and how the hell did I get here? Uh, and I thought someone was going to come in at any time and be like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> get out of here. Um, he was very g- generous. And, uh, I remember I was, I was setting up, I'm sure no one had told him a whole lot about what was going on. And he said something like, we hadn't really met or like looked at each other deeply yet. But he's just like, have you done this before? <laughs> and I said, I, I know I look young, but yes, yes, I'm a professional. I've done this before. And I'm just trying to like pretend I have credentials or something. And, and setting up the microphones and then I hit record and it was just the two of us. And he finally like looked over at me and we just like locked eyes. Mm. And it was, he was just like, we just eye gazed. And I was just kind of floored. Uh, and it was just pure presence, pure love, un, no judgment, just, just there. And I was like, this is so, I could just, this could be it. Yeah. But then I remembered we're recording. I should probably, I thought we'd have a conversation and he doesn't talk a lot, but I thought it would be more uh, casual. And I just grab little snippets here and there, but he wasn't, he wasn't saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really enjoying it, but I was like, oh shit, I need to ask questions. And I hadn't prepared a lot on purpose. I had a little bit, but I didn't want to have like, this is my list. Cause I was like, I don't know what needs, I didn't know what wanted to flow through. Mm-hmm. And I'm not there. I didn't want to be there to decide. I wanted to be there to be of service to what wanted to flow through. And I, ultimately I wanted that to be his decision because I'm putting his, essentially his life's work, his work to music. I'm, I'm, it's his work. Uh, and so I kind of just posited questions that were framed around what I thought was relevant to what's going on like modern stuff. And I wanted to give him the opportunity to to speak to that. But what I didn't realize is that what he would say would be so unbelievably beautiful and succinct and humorous and poetic with imagery, just like nailed it. Mm. The first question I asked him was about nature, about, because that's, looking out at the ocean and I was hearing all the birds and the wind. And I said, you know, everything's going on and all the depression and the addiction and the suicide and all the challenges we're all facing and the technology. How can we use nature as a way to thread this needle? Or what do you have to say about that? Something like that. And he just paused for a long time. So I wasn't sure if he heard me right. Or or if he's like, that's a shitty question. I didn't know. He's just not saying anything, but he, he had his beads and he's just kind of looking out at the ocean for like a minutes. And I just, and the one tip I got from people was like, just be, you know, be patient because of the aphasia. He had the stroke. He has very long pauses. It mm-hmm. takes him a long time to connect. The thoughts are there, but it's hard for him to say it. So don't like fill in the blanks much. Don't, don't interrupt. Just wait. 
So I would just wait. And the very first thing he said and what he said is exactly what you hear on the song Nature. So we just started listing out trees, uh, moon. Mm. And I was like, where is he going with this? You know, mm. all are our friends. You know, this is now 10 minutes into it. Yeah. <laughs> later, he says, are us. And I'm like, whoa. And then another minute later, like when you hug a tree, you're hugging yourself. Nature is a manifestation of God. I'm like, holy shit. And then he finished it with this perfect little cap. And then he just looked over at me and smiled. And I was like, you are the man. Like, <laughs> oh my God, you're like a master. You're locked behind this aphasia and you just came alive inside the music because the pauses were irrelevant inside the music. I mm. could move the phrases closer together, mm. put them into the rhythm of things. And he sounded just like wisdom to me. Yeah, when I and I was so happy that we went there with like a nice microphone and and captured the clarity of him at that moment in time. And we didn't know that it was the last two years of his life. We knew it was near the end of his life in that sense. He was very old. He was 87 and frail, but so beaming with 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 life. Just his energy was very clean and beautiful as he got closer and closer to that edge. Uh and it more or less became un unknowingly his last recorded teachings. Mm -hmm. And he stopped really talking progressively after that. I went back four other times, I believe, for like retreats and stuff. And the last one that I saw him at, the, the winter retreat, right before he died, he, was, he wasn't talking. He was there and he was, the energy now is even more pure. <sighs> but there was no way I could have done what I did. Yeah, it was, I really was, it was just a beautiful moment in time where he was still able to get some things out and what he was able to put out was, was so profound. And now it's touched so many people and will continue to do so. Uh, that record is a beautiful, uh, speaking of doorways, different doorways for people, there's different kinds of music in there intentionally. So now some people might gravitate towards certain ones and each of those are hopefully doorways for them to explore their own inner process, get deeper into Ram Dass's work, his own voluminous recordings there, yeah, and his books. So uh, I'm very proud of that, that record and extremely humbled by the experience. Yeah, how did, how did, it, how did that come together, that project? Essentially, you know, the idea existed. <clears throat> like, wouldn't it be cool to do a record with Ram Dass because I ha I have done going back to the very very first record I did in 2008, I had experience experimented with putting people talking and chopping it up, putting into music with other field recordings. So I I did have quite a bit of experience on what that's like and what works for me, and so I, I did feel like I say I know how I could do that. I know what I want to do, and I know it would work. But connecting the dots then to making it happen, I had no way to do it. I had no, I had no, mm. uh, it seems impossible. But the, the seed needed to be planted and that, that idea needed to be stated in order for it to move forward. And, you know, how it happened is sort of mundane, but I can see how it came through what is happening in my life and even the connections I had to Maharaji, uh, Ram Dass's guru. I was going through a divorce in a tough time and I was reading a book called uh, Love Everybody. Stories, basically stories of people's stories about Maharaji. 
And just by reading it, it was kind of enlivening me. And I, I had printed out a picture of him because I'd heard that like street cart vendors in India will just put up a picture of him because it's like, it, your business will be better. And I was like, well, I have nothing to lose. So if just printing a picture is, might help, I'll do it. Yeah. So I just Googled Neem Curly Baba, the very first one, I hit print and I put it up on the wall. And it started engaging in this kind of interesting conversation in my mind. And it started to have more and more saliency over time. And eventually I was kind of like, look, I, I need help, all right? I'm in a really low spot. If you can help me, this man in this picture, I don't know what that means. I, I don't even know who you are, but I need help. Uh, long story short, there was something about his orchestration of it all, of this whole thing. Mm. And when I was sitting there with Ramdas, when he was gazing at me for the very, very first few moments, I looked over Ramdas's uh, shoulder and on his bookshelf was a photo of Maharaji. Maharaji was laughing in the photo, like, ha! And I felt like it was Maharaji. The room kind of expanded again, like that feeling again. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I finally realized like Maharaji did this. And I'm like, wait a minute. That means Maharaji is like an actual being that knows who I am. And like, and I was like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not just some, like, so wait a minute. My soul's crossing with Ramdas right now. Like this is really happening. Like it all became very real and sort of like, okay. Mm. And I felt uh, very held by that. And uh, it's, it's continued to this day and continued to expand in a way that has felt guided. In, uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of uh, beautiful trust that like, there's a song on the record called You're a Guru. Mm -hmm. And he, in the background, he's saying, you are a guru, but he's talking about his guru. But that's what's cool about this idea of the guru is that the guru is like the Buddha. It's like the energy that is within all of us, that is all of us. That this, that a being sort of incarnated as it, but it's also you too. It's not like just this other being. And so it's this notion of, uh, it, it's, it's the one, it's, it's you, it's me. And, and we can be that and we are it. It's just peeling away an onion in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. His, I particularly love his, um, the uh, five hour audible that was put out, I think earlier this year with a lot of his teachings that were, I mean. Oh, cool. I haven't heard that. Oh, it's amazing. Um, it's, uh, there's a same title of a Netflix special that they did. I'm, I'm blanking on it right now, but um, it was really, I listened to it back in maybe February and it was like, I happened to be in one of those like really just flow state, like things were making sense and that just, landed yeah. for me all of it. it was like oh i fucking get it and then like a month later i'm like i don't get it anymore like whoops <laughs> oh well and and such is the the cosmic dance yeah yeah and you know we um i had guided some f some brothers through a ceremony a month ago and um it was a shorter acting um psychoactive and so that we, I was kind of putting together this playlist, just like it all happened kind of spontaneously and, uh, started off with, you know, Justin Beretta. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we started yeah. off with, um, his, the two pieces he did with, uh, Alan Watts's work. And then yeah. we rolled right into, we are truth and, uh, I am loving awareness. 10 laws Beautiful. and then uh, grandmother's fear and then some Trevor Hall to kind of finish everything off. But it was just like, <laughs> as it was playing and I was in the medicine, I'm like, 
I, you know, not to get too ego, I was like, I fucking nailed this. Like, holy shit. It was blowing my <laughs> mind. I felt like I told the guys, I was like, I felt like a Vegas DJ that like, it just put together this whole experience, but I didn't make any of the music. I certainly didn't create the medicine, but it was just like pulling a few of the strings and it was just this beautiful experience. Yes. Pulling, pulling those strings is, is, a, is an art in itself. Yeah. And I, I did want to ask you one question. You had, I'd heard you mention it before on a podcast, but um, would you go into a little bit of, um, I know Rada has been working with, um, with uh, assisted therapy with ketamine. I know you've had a little bit of experience with that. What can you share with people just to give them maybe a little different context that um, ketamine isn't necessarily this street drug that has this, you know, it has a kind of an interesting reputation, but that it can be you know, super beneficial uh, when used obviously in a therapeutic sense or um, with intention. There's just, it's been around, but it's, it is some interesting research that it can be beneficial for treatment resistant depression, uh, chronic pain and anxiety among other maladies. And just speaking anecdotally for myself, uh, I had a really powerful experience in July in the therapy session that was confusing. I still can't totally make sense of it, but I can say since then I have felt quite less anxious and stronger. I can't say it's just, I don't know if it's because of that or not, but it's a pretty stark difference. That's just for me. Mm. And it's, it's legal. So it's federally legal for medical uses. So it's something that people can access in, in, if they want to see if this might be a good fit for them. And it's another, another sign of, you know, promising uh, applications for, for certain kinds of psychedelic work. It's very powerful. It can be very, very powerful. So, you know, definitely good to walk into it with a lot of, uh, some kind of practice or, or having that container, someone helping you out. Yeah. Tread lightly, but I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's, uh, I've had a few of those experiences were a, a little maybe confusing, but, um, by and large, it's been a really useful tool for me to kind of explore really like kind of what I'm here to do. And it, it for me, it kind of, almost like it cleans the windshield and I get super clear on, I feel like it's what my soul's path is in it. And it actually, while I'm getting that kind of download, it just lowers all that anxiety about me not doing enough and I should be doing this and doing that. It's like, no, it's, it's all good. It's all yeah. so good right now. Just peeling away the onion, man. Yeah. And, and figuring out what's already there. Beautiful. Now I'm going to, I'm going to play one last track here and then we're going to let people know where to find you and all your beautiful work. Cool. Do you want to know what enlightenment is? Attachment. 
to yourself, to outcomes, letting go to the way things are. judgment against myself. through that that last bit with the relationship with the ego is, is something that um just when I heard that I had spent a lot of time kind of thinking about this whole ego death and like almost like pushing away from it and just it reframed that relationship and it almost comes into this whole thing with the shadow right like to to really commune with that is the way forward and so um, any thoughts on that's grand, grandmother's fear? Is there any thoughts you want to uh, share about that particular song? Yeah, you hear the first line, you want to know what enlightenment is. And then after that, you hear a deep breath. And that was the, actually the answer to the question. Mm. And the idea that enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, that state that we strive for is no further away than our next breath. And that, that was my big takeaway. And I think that's a wonderful feeling to feel and think about. Beautiful. 
but I am so grateful to have you here today and to, to Thanks, share yeah. your medicine with, with the listeners. Um, where can people find you? Uh, it's East Forest on Instagram, East Forest Music on Facebook and Twitter, and eastforest.org. If you go to eastforest.com, I think it's like a Chinese language site. I don't know what they sell, but eastforest.org. That's where you can get links to, you know, the podcast. It's easy to find and retreats, all that stuff. is Everything's linked off the website, but you can. it's pretty easy to find wherever you listen to music too. Just type it in. Awesome. Thanks so much, brother. I appreciate yeah, you. you. Cheers. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, please check out the show notes or head on over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events and retreats. If you liked what you heard today, click subscribe and share this with friends that might enjoy our platform. Please leave a five-star rating in iTunes as this really helps us spread our message. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BunkerCal and on Facebook as John Callahan. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon.